Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. A couple of callers on the line for Lost in the Washam with an answer to whether Sam Darcy plays forward or back to start the season and whether Ben Mackay should go forward or back to start the season. Craig and Leopold in in Broadford will come to you both. A um, couple of texts that have come through on it. Ben Mackay is playing back. He's All-Australian key back and waiting. Big Roo. And another one here. Um, Darcy, unproven at AFL level. A bit early to be talking about where he's best suited. We've got to play him somewhere in the preseason. And another one here. The biggest joke in footy is Norton playing forward every week. He was born a big a back and could be used as a pinch hitting forward. Um, and uh, quite a few coming through. Darcy has to go back pipe. We've missed that intercept defender ever since Eastern Wood retired. And another here. Harry and Ben are the same person. Um, so, of course, Ben Mackay can play forward. Uh, thanks for that text uh, as well. In Leopold, Craig, welcome to you, Craig. Yeah, hey, Dwayne. Um, just on Sam Darcy, mate, I, I think they should go back with him for one, one, one more season and then, then I'll throw him forward, I reckon. On, on that. Yeah, well, I can see I can see Sam De Koning going forward for Geelong after the retirement of Tom Hawkins. I can see Sam De Koning playing that key forward role. Now, he's a pretty damn good backman right now, and he might evolve to the point that they don't want to have him leave the back line. But I think there are players who can evolve from key defenders to key forward in time, if that's what they're earmarked for long-term, Craig. Yeah, I, I just think... Uh... Obviously, I only seen him a few games last year, but he, he, he looks yeah. like he's going to be a great player. So I, I, I'd teach him for one one more season in the back line and then uh, then after throwing forward, then I'd, I'd reckon. Where would you play Norton? He sound like a bulldog man. No, I'm, I'm not actually. No, I, I, I'd keep Norton forward. Yeah, mm. for sure. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Hopefully, we get a chance to... Sorry, I've lost you there. Craig, you there? Yeah, but yeah, just just on Norton, the way, the way he attacks the footy, I I I'd keep him forward for sure. Yeah, great to have you call, Craig. Hold the line. We've got a Dwayne to a T-shirt coming your way. Or have a chat to our producers. Uh, let us know whether you're a medium or a large. Ian in Broadford, you're down in Geelong Way as well, eh? Ian, welcome to you. G'day, Dwayne. Um, I uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, KL. Weekend next weekend, the mate and I we go down every year. We've missed it lately, and uh, um, are you tackling it this year, mate? No, not this year. It's a slightly different route this year as well, isn't it, Ian? Isn't it? Uh, yeah, they're they're, um, they're actually doing it in reverse, and then after about 115 k, you've got to do Chalambra. So you know that that'll be yeah. fun. So you sound like a cycling guy, Ian. Where does Chalambra rate when it comes to climbs? that uh, these guys are, are doing normally? Because it is it's a pretty hefty hill. Uh, yeah, it's 22% at the top. And, uh, no, I, I try to avoid hills normally. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it, it would rate, no doubt. Um, but the pros seem to do it pretty easy. They probably do it in the big chain ring. 
<laughs> uh, it's a great event, though, Ian, and it really does um, bring a vibe to the cities. And um, it brings a vibe to the city in the week in the lead-up as well because some of the best cyclists in the world tend to get to town and uh, enjoy the Great Ocean Road and be a part of or Barrable Road and the Barrable Hills are a great riding area as well. So let's hope we get them here early and it becomes a great event. Good cycling, Ian. What do you ride? What's your bike of choice? Uh, I, I, um, TCR um, Pro Zero Disc with the, the new 12-speed. You're a giant man then? Well, <laughs> these days, mate, with the stock issues, you, um, you're limited for choice depending on your size. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How tall are you? How tall are you? Uh, not as tall as I'd like to be. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I tell everyone I'm five eight and a half because that mm. half inch matters, mate. <laughs> great to have you, Ian. Good riding. Hopefully it all goes well and you get great weather for it. Ian in Broadford joining us. Cadell Evans' great Ocean Road race is back next week. A um, couple of texts that have come through on forward or back. Um, Keith, Jones, Bruce... Gardner to contend for the tall defender role. Uh, Lobb, Norton and Eugle Hagen will start up forward. Uh, Sam Darcy would be up stop, unstoppable up forward with the Dogs. Tall timber in the forward line. But player availability, team balance, opposition strengths and exploiting opposition weaknesses will determine where he plays. Um, number 10 could be a real weapon and an unstoppable force as the ultimate swingman. That's from Jay Doggan. He's got a huge upside. I know we've only seen a little bit of him, but he does have a huge upside. So let's hope he has a spectacular season and an injury-free one. Uh, continued to get text on the women's quarterfinals, semifinals, finals being five sets, maybe from the quarterfinals in the second week. Girls, best of five. Thanks for that as well. Uh, Liam Jones is back as well. So thanks for that text as well. Um, and, uh, hey, Dwayne, the women going five sets would have a major effect on scheduling for the whole tournament. Scott, I reckon they could squeeze it in, though. I reckon they could do it um, the way it would unfold. I reckon they could work it well. Let's talk about it, though. Um, BBC Tennis correspondent Russell Fuller is with us at the Australian Open, chatting about all things AO, thanks to Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering, the Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Um, Russell, great to have you on the program. Thanks for your time, firstly. Good to hear you, Dwayne. And uh, where are you on this women playing best of five debate? I know the women aren't calling for it, so it's never them that put their hand up and say, we want to do it. Will we ever see it? Could we ever see it in just the semifinals and the finals of Grand Slams for women? I think it's possible, but I think it's unlikely. And that is because the direction of travel generally is to shrink everything. There's no immediate move to see the men's matches reduced from five sets, but I just wonder where the conversation will be in five or ten years' time. The women always say quite rightly, look, we're very capable of playing five sets. Yes, we don't train for it at the moment specifically, but uh, they're still doing enough physical work to be able to do it. Absolutely no problem at all. I just don't think there's the desire within the sport. Although I do like the compromise, perhaps, of men and women maybe playing best of three sets over the first four rounds and then playing best of five from the quarterfinals onwards. Because even though I think three sets, more often than not, is, is plenty, we do, therefore, if you have a one-sided women's match in the latter stages of a Grand Slam, we can see matches being all over in an hour. And you just do wonder if uh, the player who was being beaten would have had a chance to launch a comeback or, or maybe it would be even more comprehensive mm. defeat. 
Yeah, which opens up the question on that, whether, you know, the quality or quantity, because sometimes people tell us, well, you know, short attention span of modern people, you want quality and not go with the quantity. But there's a lot of other people that will tell us the great wars of attrition have been the best tennis matches over time. And there have been some classics that we've loved, and we've seen one here in the last 48 hours, haven't we, between Andy Murray and Matteo Berrettini. I've seen some spectacularly good three-set matches as well. And even though if we suddenly lost five-set matches from Grand Slams right now, I would, I would miss them. I do think that in time it's inevitable, probably, that we do reduce the matches to three sets because you talked about people's attention span. Unless you have a ticket for a particular day or you're in the media and it's your job to cover the sport who on earth has time to sit down and watch a four and a half hour match in the first week of a grand slam and i just don't think it's particularly accessible to people and i think probably as the game becomes increasingly physical there will come a point and i don't think it's happening anytime soon but i think there will come a point probably where we see grand slam matches for the men over the best of three sets as well seen a contrast we saw nick kyrgios pull out without um attempting to play on the knee and I understand that of it well there's a lot of people that have knee issues and you can make them worse so I get it but we also saw Rafael Nadal last night virtually give his body every point a chance to get his way through it and and fought his way to the to the bitter end so uh, which do you prefer well I think there are circumstances where a player mid-match is entitled to pull out if, if they feel that there's no way they can be competitive and that there's a danger of doing a more serious injury than I can understand it. Nadal took the view, having tried the medical timeout in the second set, that he'd give it a go. But it became very apparent, didn't it, from pretty much early on in the third that he couldn't really move. And as he said, he was just trying to avoid further injury. His opinion, like his opponent in the first round, Jack Draper, when the young British player got some cramp, is that he would rather stay out there and give his opponent a chance to complete the victory. And I think most players would see it that way. There are some who are much more likely to pull out than others in the middle of a match. And I do understand that when it's not a contest because who wants to sit through an hour, an hour and a half's tennis when you know absolutely who's going to end up winning it? Are you excited about the next gen coming through? We might have seen the last of Rafael Nadal. We're going to see him obviously played the French again and we might see him back here at the Australian Open so let's not write him off completely but we've seen the last of Roger Federer at Grand Slam level there's been a big change in in tennis we're seeing a new crop come through though which is exciting in its own particular world for those people that you know are ready for a change and when you have somebody like Carlos Alcaraz hmm. big shame isn't it that he's not in Melbourne yeah. this year then that is a gift to the sport because I think however charismatic and talented the next generation are, they are going to struggle for a while to worm their way into the affections of tennis fans who've, in most cases, been Team Roger or Team Rafa. I think Novak Djokovic has been unfortunate in that sense that a lot of people had made up their minds who they were supporting before he became a serious contender. But life evolves, life goes on, and already the tour moves on without Roger Federer or in the case of the women's game with Serena Williams and new personalities come up in their place and the question now will be who can stick with Carlos Alcaraz I mean Novak Djokovic for the next couple of years I'm sure there are plenty of other players who have the potential to do it 
Yeah, Stefanos Tsitsipas of Greece is one of those who's done extremely well on the tour. He's had some good Grand Slam results. He's been in the French Open final, semi-finals here. But is he able to become that genuine contender that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Alcaraz and win Grand Slams? There are others in that category as well. Uh, Alcaraz, I think, is, 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 is the favourite to dominate the sport. Not in the way that Nadal, Federer and Djokovic have necessarily, but you think that he is somebody... Once we give him a little bit of time just to find his feet as the world number one and a Grand Slam champion who's, who's going to win a lot, lot more titles. Where are you on the Novak greatest of all time debate? Well, at the moment, statistically, mm -hmm. in the men's game, it's Nadal. I think it's probably the best way, although I know that for a lot of people it's about feel and intuition and game style and whether they take to somebody's personality. I think Djokovic is going to end his career statistically as the greatest player of all time. And I think there's a very, very strong argument for him to deserve that position if indeed he can win another couple of Grand Slam titles because he's had to do this, as I was saying, when Nadal and Federer were well established. He has not had a great deal of love from too many tennis crowds around the world. I think, leaving last year aside, there's always been a lot of affection for him in, in Melbourne. He's uh, very well respected and there are some people who will crawl over broken grass to watch him play. But it, it, it's not been easy for him in that era. And for him to have done what he has done, and he's got the record for most number of weeks as world number one, then I think he could probably be able to look back on his career and maybe say, I was the best of all time. But then, of course, you'll have people who say, but he, he doesn't have quite the same excitement on court for me as watching Rafael Nadal with that big physical presence, or I doesn't quite have the elegance of Roger Federer. Leaving all that to one side, I think probably he's going to end up with the best record of the three of them. And tennis has always been best with divisive characters. Serena, in her own way, was divisive, but, you know, McEnroe, um, Connors, divisive, uh, Anastasi, divisive. There's always been... And, and Nick Kyrgios is now the divisive guy. Um, how are you reading into the whole for Nick, against Nick, love Nick, uh, bad for tennis Nick debate? Well, I think definitely good for tennis. A look at mm. how Netflix put him in their first episode yeah. of the new documentary because they realised that uh, he was somebody that people wanted to watch. I've got three boys, uh, the middle one at 16, absolutely loves Nick Kyrgios. He's a big sports fan, he likes his tennis, but it's not his number one sport, but Nick Kyrgios is a reason for him to tune in, no question at all. I, I think he's had a lot of problems over the years. He has documented those. Lots and lots of issues with his mental health. I think he's let himself down many, many times as well. But I do get frustrated with people who say that he has squandered his talent without taking into consideration what he is having to deal with. It's not as simple as that, is it? It might be okay for somebody who's sitting enviously on the sidelines and would love to have an ounce of Nick Kyrgios's talent to say, why can't he just double down and work a little bit harder? Because we're all made in different ways. And I just don't think he's made like that. He's not going to be somebody who's going to be putting in as many hours as, as some of the players out there because he just doesn't have the ability to focus on it in that way. So he's got to be a good thing for the sport. A huge shame that he's not played a competitive match at all in Australia mm. this year, having had the ankle problem and then the knee problem. And it, no, it was a surprise and a disappointment to many when he pulled out of the United Cup. But it's, it's a pressure situation, isn't it? And he said that. You could hear 
listening to him that he was he was anxious heading into this Australian Open and this Australian summer because suddenly he couldn't go about his preparations quietly anymore. A lot of people thought he might even be able to win the title here. Who wins tonight? Uh, Tanasi Kokonakis or Andy Murray before I let you go? I really don't know because of Andy Murray's very, very long match against Matteo Berrettini of four hours and 49 minutes in the previous round. He's got himself into fantastic shape again for a 35-year-old with a metal hip, worked very, very hard in Florida with Ivan Lendl and his team at the back end of last year, and we saw that very strong in the closing stages in that 10-point tiebreak against Berrettini. But Kokinakis, Andy Murray loves Kokinakis. He enjoys watching him play. He's fully aware of all the injuries he's had. And you look at his ranking and you think, well, Murray should be able to win this. But we know how well he can play in Australia with the crowd behind him. So I, 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 I genuinely don't know. I'm not sure how Andy Murray is going to pull up. And I know Kokinakis will have the support of the crowd, even though Murray remains very, very popular here. One thing's for sure, I think it'll be very entertaining. And I think it'll be played in a really, really good spirit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Hey, Russell, love to have a chat to you again next week. I really appreciate you jumping into the bunker and uh, having a chat and, uh, and, and good writing and good corresponding back to your home country. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Yeah, look forward to doing it again. BBC tennis correspondent Russell Fuller in the bunker at the Australian Open. Thanks to the Kia all-electric EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering. Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. I need a break. Back soon to wrap it up.